Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. We've heard reports of revival breaking out in some of our Christian colleges, and there is more to come. What needs to come to our churches? Well, today on Cross Point, that's what we're going to be talking about and taking a look at. I'm Mark Taylor, your host, and my guest is from Sermon Index Ministry, Greg Gordon. That name, Greg Gordon, probably doesn't mean a lot to some of you out there, but the word Sermon Index probably does, since you know that's where we get a lot of our old sermons uh, that we play on that program we call From the Pulpit on Saturday nights. And so Greg is the one that does all the research, finds these, or gets them from people and, and gets them posted and goes through them and checks them out. Greg, you've been also keeping an eye and watching this uh, revival movement that's been going on here in America and even around the world in places. And, uh, you know, started there at Asbury and then kind of just mushroomed from there to especially other Christian universities. And so from kind of what you've been watching this movement and maybe talking to people, hearing reports, uh, what's your take on what we're seeing happen at uh, places like Asbury and then moving on from there? Yeah, brother, thank you for having me. I've been praying for and researching revival for almost 20 years now. And, uh, you know, when this happened, I was up in Canada, and uh, the second day that the Asbury uh, revival began, I had messages coming in from pastors and a few ministry leaders who, who watch for these things, too, and they said, something's happening there, you have to take a look. And I watched the live stream, I was able to somehow find a little clip of a live stream there, and I right away when I watched that, I knew that it was something beyond the usual meeting. And I closely followed it, and within a day, I really felt that this was revival. It was, it was going to be something special. I went on a limb saying that because, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, hey, we'll see revival. If it's really revival, we'll see it in 10 years from now. People will write about it and you know, why, why even call it re- revival now or try, you know, and, but I went on the limb. I really felt that uh, this is something special happening and it was touching me personally. And I was 3000 miles away. And so after a few more days of that, I had the ministry leaders going down there and uh, people connecting there. And I really, uh, I really felt like this is so significant. And um, I was being touched in a live stream so significantly too. And I, I told my wife, we were planning to move um, about a month and a half across country. We were on the kind of furlough for a year. And I said to my wife, can we go now? And instead of going across Canada, let's go down to Asbury. And we decided to do that. We packed our bags and went. And we arrived the day the meetings officially closed. But I was able to get into the, the chapel, or Hugh Auditorium. And in Hugh's Auditorium, the presence of God was there. I, I was significantly was touched by the Lord there. And we were only in there for 30 minutes. You know, uh, that was close to public. It was a miracle we got in. But God was still there, and it was very, very powerful. And we left in just such awe and thankfulness to God. And it's especially that he just touched so many lives in that one place, in this one small room. Greg, 
I've talked with people that have been there, uh, were there early on when it started. Uh, they said there was a real sense, they couldn't quite describe it, but they, you know, in a way was a sense of reverence that they had never experienced before in a group of people, even though there was people from all different walks of life there and size and shapes and everything else. Many couldn't even get in, of course. They're outside, and that was where these uh, guys were. They said there was still such a, a reverence and and a feeling of just peace. Of you know, They said things they hadn't felt before. These are signs that... Uh, you know, sometimes of revival, like I know in the ministry work you do, you've studied past revivals. Is there anything that sounds or seems familiar from what we know about those past revivals and awakenings uh, that kind of align a little bit of what's happening today, maybe? Yeah. In the Welsh revival, there came into meetings just a holy hush. You know, people would not talk They'd almost be motionless, you know, at times. And other times in the Welsh Revival, there was great singing and uh, choruses that would go on. And in the Welsh Revival, when it started uh, to happen, a lot of famous ministers actually traveled down to just sit in the meetings and experience what was happening and just explore it. And um, very similarly, uh, the Asbury Revival there are, there are tons of ministry leaders from Carrie Job, worship leaders, to uh, Louis Giglo, or, or just tons of well-known celebrity-type preachers that just came into the meetings, quietly sat there, and just uh, and then left, and just uh, there with God. I feel like uh, it was like a similar kind of feel with the Welsh Revival. Like, here's a quote. Visitors from all parts of Britain and the continent began to flock to Wales to see the great sight of God breaking forth in supernatural power upon the sons of men. I found myself with unspeakable joy and awe in the presence of God. That's a quote from a biographer uh, about the Welsh Revival. And there was another quote of ministers coming in uh, to, you know, to speak. And one man was actually asked to speak as a a very famous minister in those days, F.B. Meyer, in England, he said, no, I refuse to speak, and he just sat there. And what Evan Roberts said was he he just wanted to sit in the the silence of uh, the school of the Holy Spirit, in the silence, and just be taught by the Holy Spirit. We're so full of preaching. Brother, that was one um, uh, real criticism from people over and over again. uh, At least a few told me, you know, Brother Greg, there's no preaching there. Mm-hmm. Where's the preaching? Where's the repentance preaching? Where's the fiery sermons, you know? And I really I really asked God about that, and I thought about it. And one thing I got back from the Lord on that was, you know, we've heard thousands of sermons. We've, we've sat through 10 years of good Bible teaching, 20 years, 30 years of, of uh, Sunday sermons. How much of those sermons have we obeyed? How much have we put into practice? Maybe 2%, maybe 5%, maybe 10%. And it was, uh, the Holy Spirit was kind of saying to me, as if like, hey, I see you're having trouble with this stuff. I'm just going to come alongside with you for these two weeks and just help you a bit to put some of this uh, stuff you know into practice that you've heard for so long. And what that's called is repentance. You know, we're aligning our life with God. We're saying, not my will, your will be done. And by the Holy Spirit, he was 
uh, pouring out repentance on people for these two weeks. The altar was never empty. It was a constant flow of people. There was altar calls, but there really wasn't continual altar calls. It was more the Holy Spirit was calling people to the altar, and it was just like a cycle. And and people, were, I know people are there for 12 hours, 7 hours, and they told me the altar was never empty. There were always people there. Yeah. You know, this is kind of the reports we got back, you know, of uh, people on the outside. Uh, basically, there was no preaching. They said it was just a lot of music, you know, of singing when I say that. And they, you know, of course, had put big, big screens and stuff and piped that all outside for the people. And I remember one uh, minister telling me that, you know, it rained and he thought, well, that'll put a stop on whatever Friday or Saturday night it was raining. And he said, yet it didn't. He said just as many people were there. Then he said he's seen strange things, you know, happen like, you know, somebody just be praising and worshiping and they just fall in the dirt, you know, on their face or fall to their knees. He said just and nobody thought a thing of it, though. You know, it was, again, something that was uncommon for most of our churches, which should be maybe common in our churches. And, um, you know, when you study people like you know, Duncan Campbell, hearing his reports, and of course, uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know, you, you hear the, the sermon, you know, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I, of course, read that sermon, as you have, I imagine. And, you know, I thought, now that sermon, I mean, it's a good sermon, but it doesn't knock me off my feet. What started, it, you know, started this great awakening that, that had people crying and believing they were going to hell and everything else, you know, there that morning. It had to be, well, number one, I know people were praying all night and and maybe for days before he ever preached that sermon, uh, but also it's when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, that's what seems to kick things off. And apparently this is what happened in Asbury and then started moving across uh, some of our other Christian universities, didn't it? Absolutely, brother. And, you know, what, one way that people described the meetings was love. It was just pure love. There's a wonderful quote I found by William Seymour, the Pentecostal power, when you sum it up, it's just more of God's love. If it does not bring more love, it's simply a counterfeit. And I love that. And, you know, it was just a, a, the sense of God's love being poured out. When they sung, they sang the songs of God's love, it, it was just overwhelming for people, the goodness of God, and really that this is the the character of the Lord in, in, the, in the heart of who He is. He is a God of love, a mercy, kindness, goodness. He's a, a bridegroom for a bride. He's full of fiery love and desire for His bridegroom, for His church. And, you know, we tend to think God, obviously, it, who He is, He's holy, He's fearful, He's one that has laws, He's one that um, we're to honor and respect in that way. Um, but we sometimes get into that place of looking at God so much in, in, you know, a fearful God where in Christ he comes to us in love and to, to really experience that love, to believe God actually does love me. You know, to, to actually say, you know, I'm loved of God. I, I know... I know some revivalists that you would know too, brother, and some well-known godly men who on their deathbed, they preach so hard during their whole life. I know one uh, specific man, I will not name his name, 
he preached very strong like a prophet his whole life to the American church. And on his deathbed, he was struggling. And, you know, the people near to him, the one minister told me, you know, he was struggling with, with uh, that God loved him. No. Yeah, all, yeah. all these years he ministered such such strong messages, but then in the end, would you actually accept me, God? Am I accepted? And that, that doesn't negate his ministry or the call uh, for uh, kind of a prophet-like revival call to the church. But in the end, it really is the core for all of us. You know, God, do you truly love me? Am I accepted by you? Can I have that freedom of relationship with you? And to know you as a friend knows a friend, or as a bride to a bridegroom. Yeah. And, you know, a, br- a bridegroom, you know, you don't have to, if, if you say, hey, you have to wait 12 hours to get to meet with her, or, you, or do you want to sit 12 hours with her? You're going to be married to her in a few months. Of course, it's not, it's not a, a laborsome thing to do, brother. You know, we enjoy that. And this is almost what Asbury Revival became. People did not want to leave the room. They wanted to be with God. They enjoyed being with God. And, you know, really, we really have to evaluate, do we enjoy being with God? Do we enjoy sitting in God's presence? Or is prayer something we come to, and it's almost like a labor to do it, God doesn't accept me, and I need to just kind of do, the, do X, Y, and Z, and uh, try my best? Or, or do I come into prayer with intimacy, to know the Lord and to spend time with him because he is worthy to be spent time with. And he actually longs us to come to him, to be with him. And these students really got that. And the big trouble for me, brother, or for all of us, maybe I'll put it to myself. The big trouble for me is I see myself in Luke chapter seven. I never knew the man's name. Uh, for years, I read the passage and never saw it. I don't know why I didn't see his name, but his name is Simon. He was the Pharisee. And this woman came to his home, who is the prostitute woman, and she came to the feet of Jesus. She didn't even come to the front of his feet. You know, she crept in the back, kind of hiding behind his feet. And she worshipped him and loved him. And um, and that Pharisee had a hard time with that. He, he didn't really think that she should uh, be doing it. He felt that it was wrong that she was doing it, and and she felt also that Jesus should have looked at her and stopped her, because she needs to get her act together first. She needs to look better and figure it all out. And, you know, Asbury Revival can become that. Uh, God was in his mercy and kindness, pouring his love out, even without, you know, sincere repentance at first to students, to people in sin to, you know, wherever they're at, just loving on them. And for us who have been in the church for so long, the temptation is, you know, they don't look the part, they're not acting how they should, they're not singing the right songs. You know, why aren't they singing the old godly hymns, or why aren't they doing this or that? But we find ourselves just looking like Simon the Pharisee, judging, and, you know, and then Jesus comes to Simon and goes, you know, well, you love a little bit, that's okay. You're a worker for God. You're kind of like a paid servant. You're just doing it because your benefits and how you look and well, people admire you. This woman doesn't care. She's a lover. She loves me. She's because she's been forgiven much, you know. And 
it's almost like God's calling the church prophetically through this time to be like the woman at the feet of Jesus, to be worshiping him and thinking on him and glorifying him like that. To me, it's a challenge to me, at least, brother. Uh, I've been there for months just going, Lord, I want to be like that woman. I want to worship you and love you more. I want to be at your feet. Yeah, yeah. you said something I want to talk about when we come back. So folks, stay with us. We're going to be back with more right after this. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. Welcome back to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor. My guest today is Greg Gordon from Sermon Index. Now, I consider Sermon Index a ministry. I'm sure you do, Greg. But if somebody would want to know more about Sermon Index, uh, how do you tell them to do that and about the work you do there? Sure. We've been, um, the ministry has been running for 20 years. It's been on the internet for that long. Um, when MP3 sermons just became popular, or were actually were not popular at first, uh, that's when the ministry began. And so the website is sermonindex.net, and you can find us on YouTube, um, sermon, uh, youtube.com slash sermonindex. There's about uh, 10,000 sermons on there. And we have uh, three uh, three hundred thousand subscribers, and we're on like social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and all that. But uh, you can email us too if you're looking for a sermon or looking to find some old godly resource on history of revival. We're always glad to help and to serve. Okay, now you mentioned you know the students, and this is one thing that to me stands out uh, even more so in this move. Uh, of course, we know, because we know about revival, that in the 70s, a revival did break out in uh, uh, Asbury among the young people there at that time, and then has now done it again. This is a younger generation movement, and this is something that really should be catching our eyes, because it's not just a bunch of people that's been going to church. These are young people that this has been fueled through. Is that correct? Yeah, it would be primarily young people that it began with, and it's been um, spreading, too, at first. So if if it's coming to your area, you know, maybe young people it's going to happen with first. That's kind of the, the marker right now. I know it's went to other universities as well. And here's a here's a quote that I think you put out one day, and I, I wrote it down. It said, uh, the Holy Spirit wants it, or you wrote down somebody's quote anyway, the Holy Spirit wants its church back. To me, Greg, the movement of revival has to start in the church. It just doesn't start out here in the lost folks or, you know, out here among the sinners. It's got to start within the church. And that quote, the Holy Spirit wants his church back, and that's what he's doing, uh, I think was a good quote. Yeah, it's, well, you know, I, I wrote this on Twitter. I, you know, just after watching these things and going through it and, just sitting in God's presence and thinking about everything. Yeah, I wrote the one hour church service is dead. Now I'm not trying to offend pastors and ministry leaders. I respect local church, but wow, you know, how can you sit and just sing three songs quickly to Jesus, move on to a sermon, 
get it done, finish it off, get out there and go have your Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever you're going to have. How can you do that once you know that God wants to be with you, God wants you to worship Him, and He wants you to spend time with Him? You know, how how, how quick we make it. We make it like, uh, you know, it's done before you can imagine it. You know, there's no rush. Where do you want to go? The whole Sunday, you know, well, I have kids. I need to get busy doing this. Or I need to do that. But, you know, we make all these, like, uh, reasons why. But what's the rush? Why are we rushing? We need to slow down and allow our minds not to be distracted. The Tozer said this, pray till you pray. It's like a famous uh, article he has. Yeah. I'm coining the phrase, worship till you worship. We say it's worship. We get in God's presence, maybe we do sing songs to the Lord. But are we really worshiping God? Like, are, are we still thinking, oh, I need to stain this, do this work here, figure this out next week, you know, I pick up my kids here, uh, get ready for the, the fellowship after the church. Instead, are we just lo- are we lost in worship? Yeah. And if you think of the heavenly worship, you know, it's, it's never stopping. In heaven, it's, you know, I told one brother, it's like, don't worry, everyone, you're going to the prison when you die. It's not hell, it's called heaven, and heaven's where you worship all the time. Is that a prison to you? Is that, is that a bad place? Is that a place you want to get out of? Of course not. But on earth here, it's our preparation for heaven. Why are we so rough? Why, why aren't we willing to enjoy the Lord and spend more time with Him? But what, what's what's the big reason? Are we? Is it really matter to get an extra three or four hours out of our way on a Sunday so we can make more money or figure things out or you know have our time? Like, is God worth more than one hour? Of course, He is. So I, I really believe that part of the Holy Spirit calling His church back, wanting the church back, may the Holy Church, Holy Spirit have His church back is he's wanting our time. I know some brothers said it this way, he just wants us to stay with him. Yeah. He just wants us to stay with him. No big agenda, no big trying to work it up, or, you know, can we just stop and abide with the Lord, stay with him longer? He, he desires it. And, you know, a lot of the worship services, you know, whether it's a charismatic, Pentecostal, Baptist, whatever it is, you know that they put effort into it to make it a real production you know and and to jesus they want to do it for the lord but can we just come before the lord and sing simply with no desire to like don't do a band rehearsal before but just come it might not sound as good but just come and say lord we just want to be here for an hour to worship so i believe i believe personally this is going to become more popular not because the pastors think it's a great idea, and maybe some will, I hope so, but it's because the people want it. The people want to worship more. The people want to be with the Lord more. We're not tired of hearing sermons. It's great to hear a message, but we want more worship. We want more prayer. We want more to be with the Lord. And I believe God's calling His church back to that, back to three to four hour meetings at least on Sundays. You know, surprise, surprise, I think you would know this, brother, 60% of the Christian world in third world countries, they, they worship for three or four hours all the time. Correct. 
So we're we're sort of like having to just catch up to where they are. You know, we we've just gotten in a bad a bad way. You know, Lonnie Frisbee was used of God in the charismatic renewal with um the Jesus people days. Right. And he's a big question mark for some people, but you know, God did use him. You know, there was a, a friend of his who was like a roommate when he was younger and being used of God. And he said, you know, the church began in Jerusalem as a movement. It went to uh, Rome as a, a philosophy. And then it went to Greece and became more entrapped in teaching and, and, and kind of like uh, that way. But then it goes to America, becomes a business. Yeah. And when he, and he says America, he, he yells business. But ha- has the American church, with all the good we've done, and all the missionary and the giving and all the wonderful things the American church has done over the years, have we turned Christianity into partially a business? And, you know, the big callback is, Lord, the Lord wants his church back, but he wants time. Time is not, it's not a money thing, you know? So a businessman goes, well, you want more time, it's more money. We have to stop thinking that way. We have to say, Lord, it doesn't matter. I just want to give you time. The, the, the money doesn't matter. The logistics doesn't matter. We just need to open it up and give the Lord time. And, you know, I'm going to share at a church. Can I encourage the pastor? And he said, yes, to have a Sunday evening service where there's no time limit. We're just going to worship the Lord, sing songs, prayer, and we're not going to stop until the Holy Spirit says stop. And we're not trying to repeat Asbury. You're not, you're not trying to make revival happen. We're just trying to say, Lord, we want to be open to what you want to do with the church. And I'm convinced you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be a good preacher, teacher. You don't have to be a good worship leader. If you give God the time and the availability, he'll empower. Yeah. He'll, he'll come with his presence. Yeah. Well, I said the key to a person living out exactly all their days upon this earth is not only two things. You make yourself available to God regardless, and you become valuable to him, and you're not leaving this earth one second before you're supposed to, if you'll do those things. I think that's the two keys to to just living your life, you know, for Christ. Now, uh, you know, I look here, Greg, do you believe, though, sometimes churches miss revival opportunities, and why do they miss them? Do, do they just let them get staggered and stuff because they actually sometimes try to include too much of the doctrine and religion and theology and structure and all that? Yeah, that's a hard question because, you know, <laughs> with, like for me, brother, uh, I lost my first love with Jesus uh, for years, I'd say two or three years at least. And well, when did you lose it? I don't know. Uh, how much do you lose it? I don't know. All I know is I lost my intimacy with the Lord. I, it, it went away. I left it somewhere. It started to, I started to gradually get further and further from it. It wasn't until seven months ago I had that significant experience where I uh, really gained that intimacy back. And I, re- I realized, actually, wow, I left it. The Lord allowed me to find it. And, uh, you know, a lot of churches, we, we start off well. We... we love God, we seek the Lord, He's manifesting Himself and working, and then we start to just slide away, you know, slide into busyness, just getting too busy with all the ministry activities we have, or slide into doing good things, but not the best. 
you know, not what God's calling us to do, but filling it with lots of good ideas that are religious. Um, and, you know, we get into uh, ruts as pastors where we're preaching messages to kind of uh, appeal to the people, to make the people think it's good. They give the nods, they give the handshakes, that's a great message. But are we preaching what God wants us to preach? Are we are we sharing things that are truly His message? And we can also get into a place where we come to church, you know, to, you know, I have to deliver a message to them. That's my job. And then they need to sing these songs, and then we need to do this, and there's an offering. And But then where's God? Did we come, you know, Leonard Ravenhill is famous to say it, did you come to church to hear a message about God, or did you come to church to encounter or meet with God? And, of course, the right answer is, you know, we come to church to meet a person. That person is the, the personhood of God. And if you come to church for any other reason, you're missing why we gather. And it's so easy for churches, you know, there can be a multiplicity of reasons why that happens, but if we're not experiencing the Lord himself, we're missing revival. Revival is God coming back, God in full charge, God with his church, God uh, manifesting himself. And without that, we're sort of like paddling on our own. And, uh, you know, I, I think the big call to the church right now, brother, or at least to me, my heart has been, you know, bridegroom intimacy seeking the Lord and knowing Him. And, you know, the message of the bridegroom or knowing God in an intimate way, the mystics always were there with that. There was always like the Gions and the, the other mystic-type people, Ian Bounds, who prayed and sought the Lord. Yeah. And they had this kind of intimate talk with Jesus. And where the, the normal people really didn't do it, and the, and the normal pastors didn't preach that way. And, you know, C.H. Spurgeon had a tremendous intimacy with Jesus. He spoke of it greatly. Uh, Hudson Taylor, he wrote a commentary on the Song of Solomon. It would just blow you away. And by and large, the church uh, body as a whole, we've not uh, really entered into that that intimacy with the Lord. And I personally believe, you know, Matthew 25, the parable, at this time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And so if you think at this time, that's the time of the end. No other uh, parable of Jesus has at this time. Every parable is like the kingdom of heaven is just like this, the kingdom of heaven is like that. But at the end of the age, the kingdom of heaven is like this. What is it like? A bride and a bridegroom, ten virgins, lamps, oil, there's five wise, five foolish. There's no other way the kingdom is looked at. God's looking at the kingdom of God in one way now. And because he's coming back for a bride, he's coming back for a pure church, and he wants that intimacy. So that oil is that intimate um, encountering in a secret place with Jesus Christ and being filled with his presence and knowing him and spending time with him. And, you know, uh, is God calling to the whole church, not just pastors, not just missionaries, but to everybody, you know, know me intimately, know me like the bridegroom's. Uh, like the bride seeking the bridegroom, you know, know me with that oil of intimacy, that filling of the lamp, the, the, the lamp lit. It's like kind of a picture in the temple of that lamp that was always going in the, in the temple, never put out. 
and it signified the presence of God, always always being with God in His presence, always recognizing who He is and loving Him. And I feel like, brother, this is uh, sort of like what's what God's doing, and, you know, that's going to take some reformation or some changing. It's going to be a revolutionary thing, because if that's going to happen, you know, Christianity has to change some, because some of the Christianity across the world still is very much... Uh, more like let's work for God. Let's, let's obey His commandments. Let's let's do this. And of course, that's great. But what's the first great great commandment? This is a revelation God gave me this last seven months. The first great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that means sure keep His commands. But what does that mean? Love Him. Love Him like like a, a, a bride with a bridegroom. Do here's a question I heard a, a pastor said it yesterday in the Sunday service. I was so enthralled by it. He he just pointed the finger over and over and said, "Do you love Jesus? Do you love Him? Ask yourself: Are you are you? Did you catch yourself last week saying, Lord, I love you,' in your intimate time with the Lord? Lord, I love you. I love you. Is that you? And and that's what he shared this last Sunday. And, and you know. God's calling the church back to the first great commandment. And the first great commandment is love me. And love me with what? Not your mind only, not your lips, not your strength only, everything. Love me with all of your being, mind, body, soul, strength. And that's been a challenge for me. Even how you worship, love me. You know, the woman, she worshiped with her hair, with her tears, with her oil, the expensive perfume with her mind. You know, um, God wants the whole person. He doesn't want you at the Kansas City, whatever, uh, football game, cheering and ranting and yelling, and then coming to church and you're dead as a doornail and you'll never give a shout for Jesus ever. Yeah. You know, he, he wants the whole man. Yeah. And that's why I kind of feel like, at least for me, there's been a great call to my heart love me and you're you've missed the great commandment you've been busy in ministry doing a lot of things for other people it's the second commandment love your neighbor as yourself but have you really loved me yeah. and if i can't if i can't love god i can't love myself i can't accept who i am because who we are is to be loving god and the whole thing falls like a domino after that so we don't treat people how they should be treated we don't serve them like we should serve them we do that. We do it to gain brownie points for God, or we serve people because it makes us, you know, we're supposed to do this. It's like part of our salvation or something. Instead of doing it out of just sheer unselfish love, that's what God is, and He fills us with His love when we dwell with Him. Well, there's there's so much to talk about in this area that we can tap into it, and, and just like we're talking about, don't have any time limits. We can have the very same thing here. Folks, stay with us. We're going to come back with a little bit more right after this. A place of hope. Christian Radio is encouraging you. It's lifting you up. It's speaking positive stuff to you. It's reminding you, oh yeah, God is bigger than what you're going through. God is greater. Experience hope on 91.7 The Word. You're listening to Crosspoint. On my show today with me, I have Greg Gordon. He's from Sermon Index. You hear his different 
collection of sermons that he collects. We play a lot of those on Saturday night on the program from the pulpit. That's where we get those recordings that uh, we have. And uh, Greg, if people would want to know more about Sermon Index, how would they do that? Uh, They can go to sermonindex.net. And we're also on social media, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Just punch in Sermon Index and you'll get us. All right. In doing this, I mean, you get to hear a lot of different sermons, a lot of different uh, topics. Um, You know, one of the big things that always catches my eye is prayer. Um, That's why we've been always kind of a a prayer ministry here at the station, uh, put a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, And I've noticed, you know, in this revival, you know, we know there's a lot of young people involved in it. It all started off from just a service, and then it really fell into a key word that I don't think we hear enough of or do enough of, and that's the word repentance. Uh, people begin to repent. There became a spirit of repentance. You know, even if you listen to the video, and I'm sure you have, and watch the old film from the 70s when Asbury broke out there and hear them people talking, it was the very same thing. You know, to even hear one of the professors there at the college in the 70s talk about they don't even think they was a Christian after they seen how God moved upon their hearts. And I know also I was reading about this latest move that's been going on about a theology professor, I believe it was, that quit his job, I think, three years before this revival broke out and went there just to pray and to begin to prepare for revival. Um, So again... We, there's a message there. We need to be preparing for revival if we want to see revival. Is that correct? Well, yeah. Like we don't want to glorify men too much, but you know, there was a brother that came from to America, quit his theological job, and he um, was called of God to pray for revival. And every day for three years, he stood outside Estes Chapel, which is right across from Hughes Auditorium, and there's a beautiful statue of uh, Charles Wesley there, actually. And um, he would hold uh, paper signs, like on cardboard, printed like a, a kid did it. You know, not he's not an artist, you know, he just wrote on the signs, Welcome, Holy Spirit. Another sign, the third great awakening is here. Another sign, come, Holy Spirit. And if you look at those signs and you spent time in Asbury, you would think this is what Asbury, this is like from Asbury. Because the words, even Welcome Holy Spirit, that was a significant song they sung over and over and over, in the, in the, like a theme song to the revival. And he was prophetically praying uh, for God to work. And, you know, the sign that really wrecked me, and I, I wept over it, the third great awakening is here. Oh, Lord, you know, is it true? Because, you know, if that's true... And, and so I've, I've been telling people, you know, are we on the cusp of the third great awakening? Are we here? And, you know, I, I believe the Asbury revival has been about gaining people's first love back, bringing people to the first love of, to Jesus. Why? Because God wants us prepared for his coming. He, he doesn't want us to be not in connection with him and knowing him. His call to the churches in, in the Revelation, the book of Revelation, is five repentances to the seven churches, you know, and of course, we know the famous one, you've left your first love, and to others, you know, um, different things, but God's calling His church to come back to Him, 
come back into that intimacy and that obedience and that love for my son. And, you know, a lot of people throughout Asbury were saying things like, God is here. It feels like God's working. It, It feels like God's preparing us for heaven. It feels like we're in the heavenly worship. And I wept about it a few times, and I really believe the thought, you know, could God be preparing us for his coming soon? Yeah. And and by doing that, he's allowing us to experience the heavenly worship now. So we're just we're just ready. We see Jesus come in the clouds and he he, he brings us up and we're there with him forever worshiping. What a sad uh, way to go there if we're just busy with our life, we barely give God time and we're just busy going on with all the all the carnal things we do, which we have to do some things of course. But imagine we're, we're a worshiping people. Imagine we're a people with first love for Jesus. And imagine we just spend hours upon hours just worshiping God. And imagine he comes. And then we're, and then we're, we're brought up to heaven like that. You know, what a better way to go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's yeah. no doubt about that. Now, Greg, <clears throat> another key thing that I kind of picked up on here, and I watched this as you would post and others, you know, this kind of started going into secular universities, into prayer clubs and, you know, certain groups that were on campus and having meetings at night and, you know, other places as well. Uh, But there didn't, especially when Asbury, there didn't seem to be a real leader, any real key point person that was heading it up, which makes me think about a quote I believe you made on one of your posts where it said, uh, we can't organize God. He sends his spirit in ways we don't understand. And that's really who has to be in charge if these revivals are to be real. It has to be the Holy Spirit, correct? Well, yeah, that's it, brother. Like, they, they, a lot of people called this the nameless, faceless, faceless revival. And it's almost like uh, uh, the young people, they're saying, we don't want the famous preachers anymore. We want Jesus. We want him. We're not coming here to, like, so many famous preachers came, even to the last day of the revival meetings, there was Francis Chan and Rick Warren were supposed to be there. They actually told them not to come, kindly, and they did not come, actually. They bowed out, and they didn't want it. They they wanted Jesus. They wanted the Lord, and, you know, we've been, um, we'd idolize these men too much. We prop people up on, on pedestals too much. When really all these famous ministers should be people who are pointing their hand to Jesus and saying, "I'm a, I'm just a signpost to point the way. Here, here it is. Go that way." And a lot of the revival too is kind of like out of the control of people. So it was just God in control. And you'd think, well, if it's out of control with us, it's going to be out of control. But it wasn't. The Holy Spirit guided the meetings. There was just such order to the meetings, and everything happened in a way that was uh, wonderful. But revival is always not like that. There is messiness to it. And you you think of um, the proverb, without an oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. That's Proverbs uh, 14.4. And so if you want revival, you want an ox. You know, a big ox is going to be pretty dirty there. You know, you have to shovel up after it with lots of manure, bad smells, noises, but you have it. And look at all the good you can do with Knox. You know, we need revival in the church. We're, we're going on our own energy. 
and we can't get so much done, so little done actually, and it's not it's not sufficient. So we need oxen, but with oxen comes mess. With oxen comes lots of uh, manure and other things. But it's going to be a large harvest in the end. Proverbs Proverbs fourteen four, and I wrote after that, you know, revival is messy. Get a shovel. So get busy. Don't worry about it. It's going to be a mess, but that's that's the way God's kingdom always has been. In a way, in the earth, how his work is, it's always messy. The book of Acts is messy. You know, you have like Simon the sorcerer coming to Jesus and getting water baptized, and then he apostatizes and becomes the greatest false teacher in the church. But he got a water baptism and everything was nice. You know, but God was doing revival. Lots of things were happening, and people are burning up all the witchcraft, and, you know, so we can't want it all clean and tidy, and it's just not how God works. That's how we build the church. But if we're going to let God build His church, it can get messy, but it's going to be fruitful. It's going to be what God wants. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, we ran out of time here on today's program, but again, tell people, they want to find out more about Sermon Index. Tell them how they can do that. Sure. Uh, just it would be the website would be sermonindex.net, and uh, there's about thirty thousand audio sermons on there that you can download for free from uh, lots of godly ministers from the past. All right. Well, thanks again for being a part of our Crosspoint program today, and uh, kind of helping to enlighten us a little bit here on revival. Because our nation desperately, desperately needs revival. Our churches need a revival. Thank you so much, Greg. You're welcome. Great interview today, folks, with Greg Gordon from Sermon Index. Boy, what a ministry they have there. You know, and Greg, if you heard him today, he was quoting the Bible. This is the Bible I hold in my hand right now. It's God's Word, and it's the Word we all need. That Bible that I have is the same Bible Greg uses and other people use. Charles Wesley used. All these people that did great things for God. If you want to do great things for God, Get in his word and find out where you play your part, your role in what's going on in this world right now for such a time as this, because the Bible is the inspired word of God. They're never outdated. And it shows you the road to follow if you'll just take it. The Bible contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever follow. Be sure and join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week. Allow God to use you for his purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNAO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO. You may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, Neosho, Missouri, 64850, or by email crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime on... Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083.